welcome to Fatima and the Family, a joint presentation of EWTN and the Fatima Family Apostolate. This apostolate was founded at the encouragement of the Pontifical Council for the Laity. And now the director and founder of the apostolate and your host for Fatima and the Family, Father Robert J. Fox. Welcome to the Fatima Family Apostolate. We have been presenting a series to you telling you what the Fatima Family Apostolate is about, uh, couples of various ages meeting together, discussing their faith. And now what we're going to do, we're going to have a series of couples at different stages in the life of marriage who are actually involved on the active level in this apostolate and tell us about it, interview them and for our first guests, we have Tim and Mary Angusser from Springfield, Minnesota. This is a couple that went with me to Poland with um, seven and a half. That doesn't sound quite right. The eighth child was, was on the way. You see, they're, they're still pretty young, young, so you know they're not practicing birth control. But you got three preschoolers now. Right. Yeah, and you got a teenager that went to Fatima with me and a youth pilgrimage. Could you give me some of your impressions when you went to Poland? Well, one thing that we noticed right away is that uh, there's a lot of Western influence coming into Poland uh, on television, the advertising and whatnot, and we feel that this is probably an attack on the family. So we could see why Father Drozdek was concerned about that and why he wanted us to come over and why he was starting up a, an apostolate over there. The Polish scenery and the mountains and the monasteries and the churches we saw were so beautiful, and yet it was really the highlight of our trip was the beauty of the people, of the Polish people were so wonderful, so giving, and their love for family was so great, and the relationship between the family and the bishops and the priests was outstanding. It, it, it's wonderful, and they had the, a bishop there that day when they inaugurated the Fatima Family Apostolate, and the people, families from all over Poland, now they weren't just from that area, would come up and sign their name that now that they were officially in this apostolate, and he was on the commission for the Pontifical Council for the Family. I just got an article to put into the Immaculate Heart Messenger from Father Drozdek. This was heartbroken from abortion and all these things that are trying to seep and are succeeding and in seeping into Poland. Uh, I, I would like to ask you, what do you see as your primary responsibility as a parent? We feel that our children that are in our care are really not our children, but God's children in our care, and that God has asked us to take these children to learn how to know him and to love him and to serve him in this world and to be happy with him in heaven forever. Mm -hmm. And that we take that responsibility very seriously. And one of the most important things we can do for our children, we feel, is to love each other. They have to be able to see that. Not that they don't also see us argue, but uh, that sometimes is a part of, of love and marriage. You know, I was very happy recently when you wrote me a letter and you said, the Fatima family apostolate is outstanding. Because that made me very happy as a director. <laughs> Why did you say that? What do you mean by that? We belong to a lot of groups in our, our few years of marriage. And this 
Fatima family apostolate reaches through all the ages, all the phases of one's life. Our children are involved in the Fatima family apostolate as children, our teenagers, as youth. We are as parents. Our parents can be in, involved at, at the grandparent stage. There's even the apostolate for the suffering, so yes. that when people are older, they can join that. And we're all together. We are one family unit in this apostolate, and it's wonderful. Mother Angelica talks about the supporters of EWTN being a family, and, <clears throat> and we feel this is the atmosphere with the, the Fatima family apostolate because you have all the age groups and you have the support of the older people with the younger people and vice versa. You know, people that subscribe to the Immaculate Heart Messenger, which is our vehicle communication for this apostolate, they are members in a sense that they read the magazine and get a lot of our books and a lot of our tools, uh, but they are not in groups. Some of them are not in groups because they say it's so difficult uh, to form an FFA, sounds like Future Farmers of America, uh, the Fatima Family Apostle is so difficult. Do you know any a group in our area that we could join? Well, is it really that hard to form and found a FFA group? One of the things that's interesting is when I wanted to form a group, I got the information, the charter and the prayer book, and I read it, and then I called you and I said, Father, what are we supposed to do? And he, you said, get the prayer book, get the charter. And I said, I have those. He said, well, start a group. And it's really so easy that a lot of people are looking for some rigid guidelines. There are some beautiful formats that are, we are asked to follow in that. Yeah. But, but the groups themselves are able to go off yeah. and do, do different things that are, are good for their group. So I think it's basically praying, who does God want you to yeah. join together? And then reach out in, in ways like putting an ad in the bulletin or in the newspaper and saying, we're starting this. And being willing to drive maybe a half hour in order to find other couples yeah. or an hour. I've known some to Chicago area that drive two hours. Mm. You said prayer book. You're probably thinking of the Marian Manual. Mm -hmm. We right. do have a couple other prayer books, oh, but that manual yeah, yeah. is also a prayer book. Mm -hmm. What specific helps do you find that you're getting by being in the Fatima Family Apostolate? The magazine itself is, is a big help because uh, I feel that you deal with issues that are current in the church and we don't have to worry about the orthodoxy of the publication. Also, we keep updated on uh, the Marian Congress, what's coming up, who's going to be there, uh, and that, that's a help for us because we go out to South Dakota every year to attend that. It's written in such a way that you feel like it's a communication and not just a publication. And also, there's all kinds of resources, tapes that even the youngest children can listen to, and, and, and books. And so there's a whole realm of resources available just through the Apostolate, plus the Marian Congress, where all of us come together once a year and become renewed to go back. Yeah, we want to get in a little later about these uh, national congresses. That's the high point of the year for me with mm -hmm. the Fatima family Apostolate. Yeah, I found this very interesting. You said, I forgot that you got these basic tools, the charter and the manual, and then you found me. Uh, I've had people get these and, and phone me. So we got them now. Now what do we do? Mm -hmm. uh, have you read them? Uh, no. Oh. <laughs> the first thing you do is read yeah. the charter, yeah. you know. And it's like they expect a little man to jump out of the book <laughs> and do it for them. But you really got to roll up your sleeves and take a risk. Well, it becomes it, yours. 
it, yeah. it's your group. It's 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 not it's not Father Fox's group. It's I'm glad you said our that. group, and that's Be why you take an active role. Because I don't consider once a year we have that national congress mm -hmm. at Alexandria, South Dakota, where we have the shrine, and and this year 2,100 people came. Wow. In my town, a little over 500. <laughs> The, fr the first year, when we it was going to be over a thousand, mm -hmm. going back over ten years ago, the Protestants in that town got a little nervous. <laughs> Twelve hundred Catholics that first year uh, were going to move in, but uh, I do not consider that a pot where I there at what we call the headquarters, mm -hmm. Saint Mary of Mercy Shrine and Church in Alexandria. This isn't the apostolate here; it's out there where you are. Definitely. So that I'm glad you got that concept that uh, it's not anything so rigid and all of the rules you got to follow. Now, you, you've been a very important part of the, uh, the national meetings, uh, the mini-Congress. Uh, while the adults are meeting down at the auditorium, and of course all the families come together in the evening for the masses and the rosaries and hymns and candlelight processions, but uh, uh, a mini congress is taking place, and you've had two to three hundred little children from age four up to maybe twelve. You're running a mini congress. Can you say a few words about the congress? The reason it was started, if you remember, is because we had come to one of your congresses and there was nothing for our children, and so we came to you and said, Father, would you please do something? And you said, Mary, <laughs> if you want to do something, go ahead. Mm -hmm. And so we devised um, a, a mini congress which allows the children to, uh, the young children just basically play games and go over to the shrine. And we have shrine activities. They visit the stations and things. The older children, the youth, are involved in doing skits. We started a Living Yes Theater mm -hmm. troupe where the, they portray the lives of the saints. They portray um, the, the Blessed Mother in different apparitions. And that keeps our teenagers very active and very involved with the younger ones. And then the middle-aged ones are usually doing the crafts, and they're usually doing well, the... Well, so you're making a sacrifice for all those children, so all of those parents mm -hmm. can be down there getting the adult talks. It always makes me feel bad that you have to miss out on a lot of that. Well, you, well, you ever get a hold of those talks? Oh, oh, yeah, we get the tapes. We'll get the tapes. Last oh, week, tape. we get I, the tapes. I can, you know, once you started that mini-Congress, remember the very first year, it was predominantly grandparents. Mm -hmm. and, and they're very important. Mm -hmm. Oh, definitely. And, but it was people like you that enlightened me. If we're going to get the couples who are still raising their children, we got to present something for the little tiny tots. Um, now, you, you have, I've heard you say it's not easy to live the commitment of one's marriage vows. Why is that? I think because you're taking two individuals who have their their good points and their flaws, uh, their idiosyncrasies, and you're trying to form them into one. Uh, so you rub each other the wrong way occasionally. Uh, Mary and I uh, are very much the same in some respects, but in other uh, respects we're very different. I am much more conservative and probably withdrawn than Mary is, and she's more outgoing and getting involved in everything, like the uh, Marian Congress. <laughs> so uh, there are, there's, there's times when it's, it just makes it very difficult trying to blend into one person. Well, your, your older son is a teenager, went to Fatima with me, 
And he has said, you know, mother and dad are as different as night and day. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, I have the best of both worlds. No, he feels that way. But th- this is wonderful by temperament, personality. Mm. You can be so different and still appear to have such a, uh, a beautiful marriage and are, are, are helping uh, not only your own family but other families. And, 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 and Tim there, by nature, you would like to be more reclusive and just mm-hmm. our family and and Mary, no, we <laughs> we got to be evangelistic. Have I got to figure it out right? No, I think so. Yeah. kind of hit the nail on the head. But I think it goes back to God. It's not us. There's nothing special about what Tim and I have. I mean, there's a lot of couples that we know who are matched really better, and and yet because they don't allow God to work through and heal a lot of these rough spots in their marriage. But what do you understand by the marriage vows? What are the marriage vows? I see it as as two people coming before God and bringing themselves before God and God taking each of them as individuals and uniting them and then putting them back and they truly are one. They're not two individuals anymore living together. They're they're one living as two individuals. And there's there's times in your marriage when you don't want to be one. You want to be mm-hmm. separate and uh and you're not. It is by the grace of God that I think any married couple can can make it and, and see their 50th anniversary. Well, I understand from uh, being a celebrant here, but from a biblical point of view and scholarship, these two shall become one. And, and I think a lot of them think that just means in the flesh. It means in the body, in the, uh, the soul, uh, one, like one spirit. Mm-hmm. And... and uh, when you get people with different backgrounds, different personalities, and this is really going to take the grace of God and openness to the grace of God, right? Exactly. And the heart of who you are is joined. And because you are so, you're different because of that very difference, it's a struggle. And you just have to keep falling on the grace of God and asking daily for the grace of God to live in peace. And how, how can the couples help one another and being true to their marriage vows. How can you be a help to one another? I think prayer is probably the, the, the key to our marriage because when you when you just talk to someone else about your marriage or you talk to your spouse about your marriage, you're not really facing reality. When you talk to Jesus about mm-hmm. your marriage, he knows your spouse. And when you're married to a Christian man, if you're a Christian woman being married to a Christian man, it's real hard because you know he loves Jesus you know that he's trying to serve Jesus the best way he can, and then you see his shortcomings. And it's frustrating. And sometimes I think it'd be easier to be married to a heathen <laughs> because a pagan that I, I can... He told me that. <laughs> I know, <laughs> because I think, well, at least then he'd have an excuse, you know, for his inconsideration <laughs> or, or his lack of sensitivity. That, that's that in itself. But when you come before Jesus, then it, it's Jesus uniting you, and, and you respect the fact that you're very different from each other, and you're trying to do this together. You you have to be patient with each other, and you have to keep the lines of communication open. And sometimes you have to keep them open a long time because the communication doesn't actually occur right away, so you have to keep them open and, and, and just be patient. And when you have sometimes. children, young children, the children drain so much of your energy, so much of who you are, that little energy left even to work on a relationship and so that becomes in itself a, a burden so to speak you know something that you need to work through you know as a priest and being in this apostolate and getting acquainted with so many couples like yourself like and I went to Poland with you and 
and saw you there with these eight children. Because I thank God for for celibacy. <laughs> and, and I thought, gee, married people who are faithful to God and faithful to the teachings of the church and bringing children into the world, I felt they're, they're making greater sacrifices than I am as a priest. And, of course, we know each sacrament has its own grace. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's very important for, for priests to manifest joy. And what do you see manifesting joy in a family? Is that important? Uh, extremely important. If your children cannot see that there is uh, joy in your marriage and, uh, and in your family and in your commitment to uh, our Lord and His Church, they're going to feel that maybe this is not the religion they want to be a part of. I believe that all Christians should have that, that joyful spirit within them. If we say the creed every Sunday, and if you believe what you're saying when you recite that creed, you can't help but experience some joy in your soul. The, the trouble that comes is because we're trying so hard to, to be Orthodox Catholics, to be authentic Catholics, and we're going against a lot of the things of the world. And yet at Fatima, our Blessed Mother said, live your vocation in life in a holy way. That's all you have to do. That's all the sacrifice you have to do. There's enough in just being a faithful woman, a faithful man, a husband, wife, mother, father. There's enough in that. Then you don't have to go looking for other sacrifices. And then to to bring it into your daily life. The daily duty. Mm -hmm. The daily duty. The daily duty. Now, if every priest, every religious, every husband and wife, parents, were faithful to the daily duty, we wouldn't have the crises that we have today. And right. you're, you're hopping right on that. And, and Sister Lucia put that as one of the bottom lines of the Fatima message, right. being faithful to daily duty. And it's not easy. It's not easy to always be doing the routine of your daily duty, whether it be going to work every day, whether it be doing changing diapers or, or getting people to, to learn something. It's not easy, and yet... Everyone knows that, that sacrifice is the same as But you know, with the economy today, what I see, mother working, father working, and all of the demands that you have, how in the world do you uh, balance your spiritual activities that should be in every good Catholic family with all your other obligations? Well, there are some routine things that, that you do, like praying the daily rosary and, and attending Mass when you can, and we and our family do the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day but also just not excluding your Catholic faith from whatever you do. It's a part of our whole day. It's not just part of a special prayer time. And yet we do as individuals, as now as a couple, and with our children need to go into the, the closet and pray too. Uh, I guess there's, there's different ways that you can uh, bring your spirituality into uh, your everyday life. But it has to be a part of your... And that's what we saw in Poland again. It was part of the people's everyday life. They didn't separate church from work, church from school, church from mm-hmm. state. It was one and the same, and that's what we need to live. You know, I've been in a Catholic media now, well, most of my priesthood, and oh, wow, it must have been tens of thousands of letters I've received over the years and many, many phone calls. And in the more recent years, uh, the complaint I hear, the, the, go to certain parishes, the divine liturgy, the mass, is not being conducted as the church says it should be. Um, what is being taught in the parishes isn't as it should be, and they're supposed to expose the children to this. Uh, what could you say about that? Well, it's a very difficult situation because, first of all, you have to know that it's not the way it should be. You have to have all your homework done. 
And that it's not just a personality thing you have against a priest or, exactly. or something. Um, and I feel that if there is a problem, you should talk to your priest about it privately. But uh, other than that... Uh, well, then the responsibility goes with you to take your family to wherever they you need to go to find the authentic faith. travel a considerable distance. Some it? families we know travel an hour or two hours to find a, a, a faith community. Where the priest is obedient mm -hmm. to what the church says should be. Right. Uh, well, what about, you know, I've heard of some parishes, they have the children outside of the church for they're instructing them and they're not a part of the whole liturgy from beginning to end um, or they might even leave them at nursing uh, somebody else to take care of the children where they go to mass and have peace what do you think of all that first it's there's a big difference between being at a mass with just your spouse or else and being with your children so we, we understand the desire of parents to want to sac to have the sacrifice of the mass without children but at the same time the Mass is for all, all of us. And even the smallest people, even the people who don't understand, can, can receive special graces. And so we feel it's very important for parents to allow the children to come to Mass with them, at least to start at Mass. If they have to walk them, that's fine. As parents, we also have a responsibility to remove the children if they do something like hit their head on the pew or, and they start to cry, or if they're babbling as little babies, to get them out during the homily so other people are not... Um, but you believe the whole family should go as a family group, family. even babies and arms. Mm -hmm. You should start that way. Mm -hmm. You don't always end the Mass in the same pew. You know, some may be <laughs> taken out or whatever, but you should, and you should tell your kids before yes, Mass. I see a stream of young parents. <laughs> right. Oh, walking back and forth. And, and at the Congresses, you see that line before the stations of the cross where parents are, young parents are walking constantly back and forth with their babies in their arms, just jostling them. And, and that is something. You don't let the kids down to run around so they think they can no. just get out of mass and have yeah. fun. You know, they yeah. have to realize, and, and as they grow, they'll realize why that mass Well, is at what age should spiritual formation begin with the little children? You wait till they're six or ten years old? or I think it begins almost immediately. Um, when you bring the, when the child is born and you pick the child up, and you hold the, the child, you're teaching them something about God. You're, you're already starting to form them spiritually to trust. And uh, so like when Mary is sitting there in the chair and she's nursing one of our new ones, I, I consider that there's a spiritual element in that, teaching that child to trust that, that she's going to be there. So later on in life, you know, that your children will realize God is there and he's not going to abandon you. And having sacramentals, having statues, having pictures, having the rosary round, and then when they see the, the picture, you say, there's Jesus, there's Jesus, and, and, and they get that understanding at a very young age. Yes, you said something earlier which reminded me of the, our Congress this year. We're going to have it in our next issue of the magazine, having the liturgy, what takes place in the church here, uh, things in the home that reminds us what's going on in the church here. Well, what, what do you understand by the marriage covenant? Well that it's not just something that you make. It's not, it's not something Tim and I have decided we are going to do. Because if it's something that we decide we're going to do, it could be undone. It's something that we chose to be involved with, with God, and, and we, we have, have opened ourselves to doing that. But in opening up ourselves to God and making this <coughs> promise to God, He's also made a promise to us to give us the grace to uh, live as a married couple and to grow. Do you see your marriage as being in Christ? 
you're united in, in Christ in a very special way? Oh yes, definitely. We, we couldn't do it on our own like, like Mary was saying. So, uh, remember the famous, you ever hear Archbishop Sheen, it takes three to get married, the husband, the, the wife, and Jesus Christ. And we have just a couple minutes left, and I'd like each one of you to describe your role as a husband, your role as a wife in the home, in the family. Well, I think as a husband, you're called upon to be the protector, uh, you know, not just physically, but spiritually in, in certain matters. You're called upon to make decisions, uh, on how things are going to uh, affect your family spiritually, what's best for your family. Uh, you're called upon, definitely, like uh, St. Paul says, to love your wife as uh, Christ loves the church. And that requires a lot of sacrifice, you know. Um, in doing that, you're doing what you... Uh, the best thing that you can do for your children, I believe, is when you, when you love your wife unconditionally. And then just being a good role model for your, your children, spending time with them, uh, that, that's very important. And I believe that the, the husband is called to be the head of the family and the wife is called to be the heart of the family. The head's roles are, are pretty external. You can see Jesus being the head of the church and the heart is more of an internal role as a blessed mother. It's more of a, a secluded, quiet, prayerful, uh, supportive role. And so I see myself as a more nurturing role. So each one of you uh, communicate Christ in a special way a different way, a complementary way within the home. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Tim and Mary. We're going to have you back again for another program, and I hope that many of you will order our charter, our, our Marian manual, and discover how you can get really deeply involved in the Fatima family apostolate. And God bless you. This has been Fatima and the Family. For more information, contact the Immaculate Heart Messenger magazine at 1-800-721-MARY. And please join us again next time for Fatima and the Family here on EWTN, Global Catholic Radio.